Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passion and intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before I go any further, I have a question. What would our lives be like today if lesbian and queer female lifestyles weren't represented in the media? And how would we set out to live our best lives if we didn't have any model for what that could look like when two women commit to loving each other and living as partners? We're so lucky today because lesbian subplots are included in TV and movies all over. And with YouTube and social media, queer women are able to stand out and show themselves. But one of the first windows that ever opened to show lesbians what a happy, successful, openly partnered lesbian life could really look like was Curve Magazine. Curve was founded in San Francisco in 1990 by someone named Franco Stevens. And today, the editor-in-chief is a woman named Marin Johns, who is my guest in this episode of Women Wanting Women. Originally from Sydney, Australia, Marin is a regular travel writer, commentator, and public speaker on the subject of lesbian travel and diversity and inclusion. And when she's not traveling or preparing the next issue of Curve, she works as a digital international news producer in New York City. In this episode, we have a great conversation about all aspects of living life as a lesbian, so I hope you enjoy my interview with Marin Johns. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. I was really excited to get in touch with you because of the role that you fill in our community, um, the editor-in-chief of Curve Magazine, and just, you know, I think you have such an interesting perspective on our community, and I just would love to hear about it. Great. Well, I've been the editor-in-chief of Curve Magazine for a number of years now. I think this will be my eighth year. Um, And before, I mean, I've had a long history in LGBT journalism. Back in Australia, I started around 2000, and I ran their lesbian publication in Australia called LOTL. And then I moved to the States to be a better journalist, uh, essentially. And I started a magazine called Bound, which was a kind of luxury lifestyle magazine aimed at LGBTQ women and their friends. And it went so well. It was a beautiful magazine, but it launched right on the pretty much the week that the recession, the Great Recession was called. So we had a, you know, we we had a lot of trouble because we'd been in this lovely bubble in the US where everything was, as you know, right before a recession, fantastic and bigger than it could ever hope to be. And we had a lot of lovely people get involved and we launched it on this fabulous lesbian cruise. And it was a stunning magazine. But, you know, as you as you know, the whole bottom fell out of the American economy. So it was really hard to keep it going. But around that time, the owner of Curve magazine was looking to sell. And that's Franco Stevens. And she'd started Curve in 1990 out of San Francisco. And I think she was looking to retire and hand the magazine to somebody that she could trust. And she'd seen what we'd been doing with Bound magazine and she offered it to us. So we had to fold Bound in order to take Curve over, which I think was fair enough because it's a legacy publication. You know, we've got 30 years of lesbian history there. And I've been doing that since 2010. So it's been an amazing ride and I'm so proud and and really humbled and honoured that Franco chose us to hand the magazine over to. And I hope we've done really well with it because we've also had to weather not just getting out of the recession, but, you know, the onslaught of digital media and what I think is really revolution in the way that we read publications and connect with other women across a number of platforms, including social media. So that's the rocky ride I've been on for the last almost decade now. 
Yeah, it's like not only did a recession hit, but literally the entire way that human beings consume media totally flipped around. Uh, yep. And you had to ride the ship the whole time. Yep. Not just did people want a magazine, they wanted to be on Facebook, they wanted Pinterest and Twitter and, and Facebook and, and it was a you know a matter of understanding all those different platforms and uniting the community across those different platforms and and women, you know, women want to get that information in all different ways. And so it became a whole bunch of things, which was exciting. It's been been great, but we're navigating it even still to this day. So you know, I think that when you're a trusted voice, like if people trust the curve perspective, then they're going to want to hear it, yeah, across all the platforms and you want to catch the people on the platform where they are. But once you are trusted, it's that trust that's hard to earn. And then, of course, having to keep it up on those platforms. Right. I hope we're trusted. I mean, it's, we're really quite a niche publication because even within the lesbian community, we, we have quite a specific window onto our readership, which is about women aged about 25 to 55. Um, and then within that, I guess our sweet spot is women maybe 34 to 44, something like that. So, Yeah. And so describe your niche from your perspective. I want to hear what you think. Who do you think your your people who the women who love you the most and what do they love most about you and what are they coming to you for? I think well, I think Curve's still a lifestyle brand, and I don't mean that in any kind of pejorative way or a trivial way. I think that our lifestyles are by nature political. And I think that, you know, the average curve reader, she's about, let's say, mid-30s, she's a professional, she probably owns her own home, she probably has a graduate degree. Um, about 60% of our readers are in partnerships, so, you know, uh, or, or are really seeking a partnership. Um, we do a lot of editorial on weddings because I think that's something most of our readers are in or want. Um, and I, I guess we're affluent, but that sounds like a bad word. It's not really. I suppose aspirational is is better, and to that extent I think that the idea of lifestyle is, is it's a good word because it's it's not even that it's a choice to live a certain way it's more that it's an expectation that we want to live our best lesbian lives and i hope that curve reflects that in some way yeah yeah those sound like the kinds of people that i'm friends with yeah i love how you say they all uh, either want weddings and they're in it or they want it because that's kind of where i come in too helping along with that. <laughs> totally. I mean, we do, I've, look, it's such a difficult question because while we all want that, we've had almost no guidance in that and we're still finding our own way. And in this way, I think it's important that we have a magazine that shows you what that can look like and encourages you to pursue what it is you want to do. And then in relation to somebody you want to be with, and that's when I'm selecting editorial. I'm always looking for people. It doesn't matter if they're famous or not famous, but as long as they're doing something interesting that's reflective of their identity and, you know, asking them, you know, who, who's supporting them in that, whether it's their family or their friends or their community or their partner. And it's wonderful to have a magazine, which is really like a space. It's a thing you hold, but it also suggests a space that we're holding keeping it open and filling it with images and stories that reinforce our identities and our culture as we're making it. And that's really my mission. That's why I'm doing this. And that's why I've devoted my life or at least part of my life to this professionally. It's so important. You know, when I, I think that the thing that has changed the world the most for us has been the way that lesbians are now portrayed across pop culture, which starts with, of course, your magazine, but also just the way that now supporting characters on, on movies, you know, girls can be little girls, you know, sitting in their living room watching even Supergirl and Supergirl's big sister is a lesbian and comes out and, you know, and when you're as a little girl now, you could be watching these superhero shows or anything and saying to yourself, being with a girl is just as much a possibility as being with a little boy, you know what I mean, um, when they're even that age. But then up until now, if we look at our older generation, there's no one to look up to. We can't look at, it's not as if there are all of these, um, when we were growing up, there weren't out lesbian couples showing us the way. And it's so important for you to hold this space and fill it with images and stories, um, you know, of women that are amazing queer women doing interesting things, you know, lesbians being awesome. Right. And it's so important we have this window that you're holding open to fill it with that. 
Right, and the culture, it's gradually, it's really catching up gradually. Like I think about the, the Women's World Cup uh, yesterday and Megan Rapinoe's team winning. And I think we put Megan on the cover of Curve, God, it would be a few years ago now. And then not long after that, we put her partner Sue Bird on the cover as well. But I remember at the time thinking, will anyone care? Uh, I know who these women are, but does anyone else know who they are? And, you know, sure enough, a few years later, yesterday, Everyone cares and everyone's proud. I mean, that the wider culture is really claiming that victory is theirs as well. And I, I feel we've come such a long way in many ways. Yeah, I mean, it's so incredible. It's so incredible to have out women being amazing. And I just think it's only going to lead to more comfort with little girls, not having to go through the same struggle. Because if I knew when I was nine or 10 that I liked women or that I was attracted to other females and not males, I could have had all that experience when I was younger and not have to like do the process of learning how to date all over again when I was 23, because I, when I was 12, I was trying to date boys, you know? And <laughs> I think that the more we can, you know, have these women, like um, whether it's famous soccer players or movie stars or just characters on TV, showing little girls this possibility for themselves, and then they can just feel into themselves as it even being a possibility. I think the reason I didn't come out younger is because I didn't even know it existed. Right. Because I, I didn't know about this space. Right, right, right. We're not we're not cultured to think that dating women is, is an option from the get-go. So, I mean, if you're highly socialized, it's inevitable that you will date men, you know. Not that there's anything wrong with dating men. There's nothing wrong with dating men. But to not ever think that... You can date women successfully is an impediment to being your true self. I'm not, I do think it's still an impediment. I'm saying because of your magazine and because of pop culture now, <laughs> I, I'm saying that I think that's not true. I think it's, it yeah. is presented as an option. Right, now. exactly, exactly. And that's what we've been in the fight. We've been, that's the fight I'm in is one of visibility. You can look at a magazine and say it's just images and it's superficial. And I think, well, it's not because you can't, you can't be it unless you do see it. And one of the reasons even, you know, lesbians of my generation still get trapped in the male gaze is because we had no other gaze to look through. You know, and I know one of your interesting themes that you talk about is being attracted to straight women. And I think, well, we become attracted to straight women because our culture paints them very, very strongly as objects of desire. And therefore, if you're attracted to women at all, you're going to be attracted to straight women because that's how they're presented in our culture is as desirable. And it's only recently that lesbians are seen as desirable too. Yeah, that's such a hot point. <laughs> um, what else do you think are things that women struggle with with relationships from, from what you see or, you know, from the, what else do you see about lesbian relationships from your perspective? Well, I think it's hard because there's no rule book and there's often not a big team of well-wishers and supporters. And even if you do have people that wish you well, they don't really know how to do it and they often don't, they're not able to help. And I think we're now coming into our first generation of gay people that are getting divorces and that's really sad. Um, but I think while we had the the love and the desire and the passion and the will to do it and certainly the enthusiasm, a lot of us getting carried away by, you know, the recent advent of marriage equality. So it's like, let's do this. We can do this. And we went and did it. But we also didn't know how and we didn't really know what it takes to make it work. And it's really easy for us to listen to older straight people say marriage is a commitment. Marriage is hard work. And it is, but I don't think any of us really want to hear that. And furthermore, I don't think we know what it actually means. So that when we're in it and then we find out that it's really a process of navigating and compromise and give and take, there's no there's no rule book or there's no sustenance to fall back on. And that's something we're going to have to get through and, and grow through that and change. And that's just sort of my word of warning to young couples now who are very excited about the new rights they have but there's no roadmap there's there really isn't and we have to kind of just blindly go ahead I guess and make our own history that's really what we have to do right we're going to be the first generation of women who make it to the finish line and the ones who make it till till death do we part for those who actually see that as a goal right we're going to be the first visible 
generation that goes ahead and does that. Yeah. Or among the first, because there are obviously women who are um, a bit older. They're now having the right to show themselves. They might have started a long time ago before they had these legal rights. But yeah, no, it's so important to learn about relationships and being a better partner and how to show up fully for your partner because it isn't easy. And it is a process of, as you say, navigation and compromise and give and take. And a lot of us didn't grow up in families where those things were modeled. Um, and even those who did, you know, parents are parents are imperfect. And then even those who did, that was a most of us, that was a male and female household. And so what happens when we're both women? Exactly. And the thing is, so here's the thing I've learned is that I'm not going to say men and women have an easier time of it because they don't. And we certainly know that, you know, there's so many toxic male-female relationships, so, so so many problems. You just need to talk to a straight woman who's having dating difficulties and going through a divorce to hear all the drama that happens about men and women. But I will say men and women have a benefit that we don't have. And one is that a lot of what could be difficult in a relationship is is a lot of the questions that might arise are answered just through a gender differentiation. So what is the male role? What is the female role? Or, or how that is solved, in inverted commas, biologically. When you have two women together, often it's unclear what the role is, unless that is a butch femme couple. But I think that it's difficult, especially for femmes who are in a relationship together, to understand what each other's role is. And I'm, I'm a femme who's attracted to femmes, and I've found in my relationships. It's never, it's never not happened, and I'm very sad to report this. But I've always found that my partners compete with me, and I don't know why. And I really do feel it's something from the wider culture where, as women, we're raised to always compete with each other, whether that's over you know, beauty or profession or just basic character traits, you know. Um, I wish women weren't conditioned in this way to always see the other woman as a potential threat but I do feel that um you know this is what was dramatized in the series the l word was very similar dynamic to what I'm talking about and I interviewed Lauren Morelli recently who's the showrunner for she was for a, a writer on Orange is the New Black and she's a showrunner now for the new Tales of the City and I said to her why is there so much drama to lesbian relationships and she's like, I don't know, but I know what you mean. And we talked about it a little bit and she really felt it came down to a lack of representation. And when we have a lack of rep representation, there's a lack of clarity about the role, about what your role is in a relationship. Um, do you both have to be the breadwinner? Do you both have to be the object of desire? Do you both have, you know, what are you to each other? And it can create this kind of hothouse environment. And, of course, you know, not to get into psychoanalysis, analytical stuff but this idea of mirroring where you start to turn into each other um and you start to appropriate from each other without knowing and appropriation is a kind of competition really uh, and it's the dark side of desire it's like that thing is do you want to be her or do you want to fuck her um and in a lesbian relationship it can often end up as both but if it's unarticulated and undeclared it just goes along until suddenly you're it's toxic and you don't know how you got there. I'm not sure if this is all relatable or. <laughs> I love everything that you're saying. Um, there's so much I have to respond to this. I love what you're talking about with the roles being unclear. I have a million things to say about that. I love that you jumped into partners competing. I have a whole other theory about why that happens, or I've been studying that a lot because it, well, it's not that I've always felt competitive, but there are times when I've, I've felt that feeling. Um, I also have felt other lesbians be competitive with me. And so I got, and I also am maybe traumatized from when I was little and like girls were clicky. So mm -hmm. I've looked into this question. I was really curious about it. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting that I learned from some of the male dating coaches, they talk about, you know, how we evolved as like chimpanzees from the, our ancestors shared with chimpanzees and bonobos. And in nature, if you look at any creatures, males compete with other males and females compete with other females. That's just how nature is because we compete for mates, we compete for resources, We're, whereas males and females don't compete in nature. A male chimpanzee isn't competing with a female chimpanzee. So that's just a natural, I think in some ways it just is our chimp nature, it's our inner chimp. 
uh-huh. uh, that comes out in some ways. And then I also started, I was, I had uh, both of these women actually on my podcast. There's a book called Odd Girl Out by Rachel Simmons, which talks about girl aggression and about why girls uh-huh. are aggressive with each other. And another woman named Rosalind Weissman, who wrote a book called Queen Bees and Wannabes, also about girl cliques and girls being mean to each other in high school. Fascinating books. And I had them both on the podcast. So this is, I, was, I think that this is sort of an issue. And I think that also it's an issue if we haven't gotten over our trauma from girls being mean to us when we're younger, that could also affect the way that we're socializing with the women, even the women that we want to date or women that we're attracted to or women in other lesbian groups. So I find this stuff really interesting. And I love that you brought that up. And I love then what you're talking about. I'm also a femme who dates femmes, and I and I do tend to date women that maybe look like me, but in some ways we do have these opposite superpowers, and I understand what you mean about the mirroring. I think in some ways of it more as borrowing from each other's superpowers more than turn into each other, but in some ways we do sort of turn into each other, don't we? You do, and and then and then and then your partner turns around and looks at you one day and thinks, "Why am I with you if you aren't offering me something different?" And I think that is the danger with merging and mirroring. Um, you, you do have to. I think women are such by nature empath, empathetic, and and they want to serve their partner so much. And this can be a kind of maternal impulse. But the danger in it is that if you just do always nurture your partner, I think you lose yourself. The danger is that you do you do become a kind of non-person. And then one day your partner will look at you and say, well, who is that? Who is this person I'm with? It's not the person I was attracted to. Uh, and that that's happened to me. And it is one of the dangers of being an empath and, and really wanting to nurture your partner. Uh, I think that that is a slippery slope that's very unique to lesbian relationships because we are by nature maternal. But I think we have to understand that that's not an impulse that is healthy if it's applied to your partner. Does it happen to, are you saying that it happens on one side or both sides? Because I learned, there's a woman named Annie Lala, who's one of my favorite relationship coaches in the world. And she talks a lot about this, about being an empath. She calls it being the, there's, she says in every relationship, there's an I person and a we person. Right. So one person that's more willing to give and the other person is more willing to take. Oh God. Um, But she talks about that in heterosexual (laughs) relationships, not just lesbian ones. Yeah, I think, it, and I think lesbians are women first. So I think that unless you have a different understanding of your gender or your sexual expression, but um, yeah, I would, I would say that is probably we're saying the same thing there. And I think I'm probably a we person. So when I, you know, got married, it was all about us as the team. And I think I lost myself. And then I think my wife turned around and went like, "Where are you? Who are you?" Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm investigating that now, how to be more selfish and how to be more about me, um, which is not comfortable to me and it doesn't come naturally. I am much more a we person. And that that also can connect back to childhood and who your parents were. And I think if you had narcissistic parents or if you had a very domineering mum, for example, you're, you know, and if you're a middle child, like I was a middle child, you're always bookended by other strong personalities. So you feel very comfortable bolstering another strong personality. Um, and it's funny when people would always say to me, but you're so strong and you're so, you know, you're a star and you're a power lesbian. It's so weird because I never see myself in that way. I always see myself as a helper um, and, and the gardener in the relationship. But that goes back to my childhood. That goes back to how I was raised. So it's quite it's quite funny these things all and also the other thing is one you might think you're one thing but when you get into a relationship your whole chemistry changes and it often changes in relation to the personality you're with so that other person brings out aspects of you that you might not have thought were as dominant or as you know the latent aspects of yourself that come out and become manifest in certain behaviors. So, you know, you find yourself packing your wife's lunch every morning <laughs> and stuff like this, which is, you know, not really not really healthy. It's not great. Um, but it's something you discover along the way. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Annie Lala talks about this. She was also on the podcast um, about for the we person, our job is to look to um, be more of an I person. Right. And and work for yourself. And of course, the job of the I person is to, if they really want to evolve in the relationship, to look to see where they can be more we. Right. Um, and it's all the, another thing they talk about is how there are three 
entities in any relationship. There's one person, there's the other person, and then there's the relationship that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're kind of talking about that is how the relationship itself, you being in relationship with other human brings out those certain qualities of you. And so then the relationship takes on its own thing. Like us in that relationship is different from us in any other relationship. So. I know. And I just heard everybody listening to this podcast who is single saying, oh my, I think look, being single is looking really good right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's great to be single. You know, I I think actually it is in some ways, you know, look, I love being in love too. I'm a huge romantic, but there's something so exciting about being single because at some point you're not going to be single anymore. You're going to find love. I mean, I'm totally someone who believes in love. So what I, uh, what I am excited about for all single people is, you know, that moment where you see her and you know, this is it, that's still in the future. Whereas anyone who's already in a relationship, they have that as a memory and it's beautiful and they have each other. There's nothing to complain about, but they already had that moment. So it's like the best thing ever is still in your future. So I'm happy for single people too. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, you're not no longer with this partner of yours? Or are you still with your wife? Or this No, like- no, I'm no, I am single at the moment. I wouldn't say I'm available though, because I'm, I'm doing all this work on myself now I suppose I'm I never thought about it before and I never I'm one of these weird people who have never used online dating apps I've never been on a blind date I've never been set up I've always gotten my partners from just being in a room and lightning struck you know and I've been in relationships for 25 years consecutively and this year is the first year I'm really on the last 18 months it's really the first stretch of time in my life that I've been single and it's really woefully uncomfortable because I'm not used to it I have no clue what it how to do it how to date I've never really dated we don't really have the term in Australia actually dating's an American concept which is really funny in Australia it's all a bit rough and ready you're kind of I think the phrase we use is you go around with somebody and then if you like them you're in that's it you're done there's no actual formal process and here it's much more ritualized, and I don't really know how to do it, um, which is interesting. What a fun adventure. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, it will be. You're going to have a great time. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> 100%. Well, I, I know a good lesbian dating coach if you need one. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so let's get back to Curve and talk more about it because I really want to hear more about what, what you guys are working on and excited about and what we can look forward to. Yeah, well, we have a situation at Curve now where we're responding to our readership as being a lot more diverse and uh, we have the magazine, which is print, but we made it four times a year because readers were telling us they didn't have time to read, you know, 10 issues or six issues even. So we now have the print, which is just four times, you know, seasonally. And we have the website and, of course, our digital media platforms such as uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. But I'm curious about the future and how readers want to read the magazine and if they still really like the offering in the print publication and – if they're still really loyal to the brand. And it's funny, as we're going through these changes, a documentary film is being made called Ahead of the Curve, which is now looking at the history of the magazine, especially its founder, Franco Stevens, and what that looked like when she started the mag in San Francisco in 1990 and why she did it, who she is, what it took to get it going and where it's going now. And I was really flattered and happy to be part of that and to, you know, be a little talking head along with, you know, six million other women. Uh, so have a look for that. They just wrapped production and it's coming out next year. Oh, that's so exciting. Who's doing it? Um, well, it's uh, produced, uh, directed by Jen Rainan. And if you follow hashtag ahead of the curve on Instagram and just Google that, it'll come straight up. And it's going to be really amazing because it's it's funny to me. I remember when Curve launched. That's how old I am. Um, and I remember its first name was Deneuve and then it changed its name. And I always had it up on a pedestal as the lesbian magazine, the coolest. It got all the great celebrities on the cover. And I never dreamed, like in my wildest dreams, I, I never would have thought I'd end up in the U.S. editing it eventually. So it's been a real amazing arc for me professionally to do that Um, but also it's so historic like that's you know 30 almost 30 years of the history of our community 
and the fight for visibility and all the different rights that we've won in the last 30 years. It's been quite a ride, right? Like it's of all the times to have a magazine, it's an amazing one. Yeah, and Franco's story is really, really interesting because she was married to a man and not long after the marriage realized that's not what she wanted. And then she had to make a very painful break, which resulted, I believe, in like homelessness and being financially cut off and just being flung out into the world and then having to say, okay, well, this is what I thought I wanted. Now what can I make of it? And, of course, when she, when she went to try and find community, she found that there really wasn't any. So she decided to make it and find it. And that's really the function of what this magazine has always been. You know, it's been a place, a home for us, so we can find each other. So beautiful. Hmm. I think the one thing that all lesbians have in common is, you know, our coming out where we really do have to find a new community. I don't know that other minorities have that where their becoming a minority (laughs) involves them leaving. Because a lot of people were born into the minority that we are. Right. If right. we're born into a religious minority or if we're born into some sort of racial minority in another country other than our country of origin um, and we find ourselves as a minority, usually at least we have our parents and our brothers and sisters or whoever and our aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents that sort of are also part of it. Mm-hmm. But for us, when we come out as lesbians, we're sort of, okay, now there's this new minority that we're part of and we have to go find them. It's not even like a religious minority where you just, or maybe you can convert into one, but probably you knew some people there, like, you know, they brought you in. (laughs) But for us, it's like, hey, guess what? There's a whole new minority you're a part of now. Go find it. Yeah, and it's it's difficult because the community itself is changing so much that we don't even necessarily all agree. So you know, if you call yourself a lesbian, you might not get on with people who really strongly identify as queer. So you're going to even come into this community and still the battle's not yet over. You've still got to find your people, uh, whoever they are, and possibly even broaden your understanding of what it means to be of your sexuality or your gender expression. So, you know, there are some lesbians who don't embrace trans people. Um, There are some lesbians who don't like gay men. There are some lesbians who won't tolerate bisexuals. Um, I mean, thankfully, I myself like all of those groups and believe we all actually do have a commonality and we all, all can have a fellowship in our community and that we are all related in some way. But the next battle after coming out and, of course, possibly losing your family, you've got to find your chosen family. And it's not always that easy. You can still have bad experiences within within that journey. I, you know, I think we could just all agree that anyone who's intolerant of anyone else, there's nothing even worth discussing. There's just no excuse for lack of tolerance. Right. So I don't think either of us disagree about that. But I do. You, you mentioned um, a diversity of your readership. And so I was wondering what that meant. It, I, does that because I feel as though we are a very diverse community just as is because we come from all walks of life. But I'm wondering, does that mean diversity in terms of um, how we identify or... I think so. I think I think listening, I think what you said, we you know, anyone who's just intolerant and has made their mind up about certain things at the beginning, there is really no way to talk to them because you have to listen. Everyone has everyone has a different story. And I've never met like I've never met one transgender person who's the same as the other. So if you just want to blanket and say, well, trans women are not women, well, it's a ridiculous thing to say because, first of all, what is a woman? I mean, that's that definition right now is up for grabs. It is constantly being redefined. So to just make that assumption, I think, is misguided. And furthermore, you don't even know somebody else's journey. So unless you listen and you're open to it, you're not going to learn. Uh, but I will say that we're in a phase in the world right now where a a lot of people seem to be taking a lot of comfort in, in making snap judgments. And, I mean, sure, doesn't that make you feel more powerful if you can just make a snap judgment and then just write off half of the world? I'm sure you feel a lot more secure. But the reality is we're in a time of insecurity where we'd be better off listening to each other and learning and evolving and moving forward as a group. So with respect to our community, I've seen gigantic changes. I, I came into the community when Lesbian Chic was peaking, when you had, you know, Sandra Bernhardt and Madonna and Katie Lang and The L Word then started and it was suddenly very trendy. Then it fell out of favour and then to be the lesbian was to be the worst thing. 
and everyone else was cool. So queer people were cooler and trans people were cooler and and gender nonconforming and all of this. And now I'm finding – and all those things are important and necessary and all those people have their own revolutions and their own journeys – and now lesbian is coming back again as a label that has value because it's really quite a simple declaration, that word. That word says, I identify as a woman and I'm only attracted to other women. And that's that's the definition of lesbian. So that doesn't mean that doesn't mean it's an exclusionary term to me. That means you can be actually a transgender woman who's a woman who's attracted to a woman, and you can absolutely identify as a lesbian. Why not? You can be a straight woman who realizes now she has same-sex feelings and you can be having a lesbian relationship or a lesbian word. I, I, I like wrote this uh, piece for Slate.com a couple of years ago in which I said exactly this, that I thought the word lesbian was far more uh, inclusive and a broader term than many people thought. And I got in such trouble for saying this. Um, and I did it partly to oversell the term because I was worried about it becoming extinct. I think it's a valuable word. And I also did a little bit tongue-in-cheek um, because Orange is the New Black was tre- trending and uh, there were some funny moments there that looked at the sexual preference in a way that it was it was bringing it back into the mainstream and it was trending again. But I, I got uh, in trouble with a queer community who felt that I was saying that they weren't allowed to be queer, that I was trying to shoehorn everybody into this label of lesbian, which isn't what I was doing at all. I was really more making a case for it as a useful word, as a useful term that could be used by a bunch of people. Um, And also I was concerned about there was a trend happening at the time, I think they're called TERFs, Trans-Exclusionary Radical Feminists, who were trying to bring back separatism. And I'm, I'm really not a separatist. I really, I'm really not. I'm an, an inclusionist. So I wanted to try and resell lesbian, if if you like. Um, it was a bit controversial to do it, actually. So when you said you were a lesbian and you had a lesbian podcast, I thought, oh, my God, here's a younger person who finds value in the term. That's exciting to me. Well, I definitely <laughs> am not political about my use of it. First of all, I just identify that way because, yeah, I'm a woman. I'm really only attracted to women. Not in any, that's just how I feel in my own body. I don't like care what anyone else does with their bodies or their preference, but you know, that's just how I feel. I like the term lesbian. And when I realized that I was a lesbian and I saw, and I was able to almost say it, it gave me for the first time a new way to see myself and see myself like, oh, that's hot. Because if I saw another woman like me who stood in her confidence and said, I only like women. I that's I think that's hot. So I was it made me feel good. So I it was a term that empowered me. Mm. And so I use it, and I think it makes it clear. If I say lesbian love coach, there's no one who's confused about the sort of advice that I'm giving. Right. So it's so, also it's there's clarity in it. Yes. Yes. And so I use it that way, but I certainly don't. You know, and I think you too. You might use the word lesbian. You're not excluding anyone. I'm not excluding anyone. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with just trying to explain that. But I do think that there is a sensitivity in our community. And so I get scared. I'm sure I'll get in trouble at some point. And I don't want to because I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I'm just trying to give the best advice that I can. And you're just trying to create the best platform you can. And, you know, there's no reason to be attacked when you're just trying to help. No, no. And also, but all these words are just labels and they're all fallible because if you look at the word um, queer, that came from a terrible, terrible place. And many, many people feel injured and wounded when you use that word. And when you use that word, and many people now feel empowered by it and they feel it's the best label because it's an umbrella term. And I get that too. Uh, And when you use the word dyke, um, a lot of people feel hurt by that word because it was a terrible slur, you know, a few decades ago. But now a lot of people think it's a powerful word. Um, so then the words have limitations. Like I, I've been called cisgender. I don't myself identify as cisgender. Um, that might be what I am, I suppose, but I want to know where that came from and why I'm called that because it erases my own feelings of gender dysphoria that I had when I was a child and a feeling of being quite undecided about my gender and quite at odds with it. Me too. When I was little, that's so funny. Yeah. And I feel Right. And I was mistaken for a boy all the time, and I mostly thought I was a boy until I was 11. Um, But I've accepted now that I am cisgender because I've not acted upon that dysphoria, and I feel that I don't have any kind of uh, reason to transition or investigate any other uh, gender identity. I've I've accepted it. But to to just 
parcel it up and brush it aside and go, oh, you know, you're just cis, I I feel there's a complexity there that's lost. And I feel that that shuts down a discussion that we I could have with my gender variant friends, which is I think I understand them a little more than they might think I do. And that the way I present now and live my life is easily not trivialized, but it's easily boxed and categorized. And, you know, it's seen that I'm kind of colluding with a dominant culture, which, which might not be completely true. Um, it's so interesting. Do you know what I mean? And then the, I also think the word trans, trans as a prefix actually shortchanges what a lot of transgender people go through because it, 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 it implies that they're kind of moving across binaries, whereas a lot of if you talk to a lot of transgender people, they'll say that they were always that gender. They were always the gender that they are becoming becoming, right? Right, right. The trans suggests some sort of movement. Right, that they're a in transition. A, a, that there's a, something a, yeah, a moving away from or as opposed to. to this was always the thing, you just couldn't see it as well as I could. Right. So yeah. these are all just words and labels that we all just use. It's a very tribal thing that we're trying to recognize each other. That's really all it is. And that's why I think listening is so important because you don't ever really know anyone's story unless you ask them. And that's that's really what you need to do. Yeah. Everything you're saying is really interesting and, and perspectives I hadn't thought of. I try just to not offend anybody because I personally don't get offended by labels and stuff. But I know that other people do, so I try and be as careful as possible while still allowing myself to stand in my own identity because I do identify as a woman and as a lesbian. But I never thought of what you're saying, which is true, that I totally remember being seven years old in the playground and just feeling like it was so profoundly unfair that I was born a girl when I wanted to be a boy. I just like want, I just was like, how it's so unfair that I don't get to be one. And so I can totally relate to that. It's a long time ago, so it's hard to remember, but you know, there is even people I present very, and I really do consider myself to be a woman and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you are, you, you, I've grown into it. You are now you've grown into it, but I do remember when I think back about my childhood, having absolute great moments of distress, real moments of distress that were just brushed aside or buried as me, maybe having a tantrum or being overtired or grumpy or whatever. And those, those feelings of unhappiness were really linked to my gender and that I didn't, I didn't see a way of being myself, you know, and and in the end, they knock it out of you, your parents or your school or your teachers or your the culture gets the better of you, better of you in the end. Um, so, yeah, we're happy now being cisgender, same-sex attracted women. But definitely if we were to go back, we could find that kid that was very unhappy and there was no language for that at the time. There was no way of talking to us or and that might have manifested itself in you becoming, I don't know, sporty or, or um, rebellious. Or uh... I was so not sporty or rebellious, <laughs> but I, I was a pretty good girl that was just sucked at sports. But um, and I'm not I'm not so sure, like maybe on the spectrum, I was less like I hated wearing a dress. I would get really mad when I had to put on a dress. That one was really bad. I know. But, right. Um... But you do. But you do now. You're OK with it now. Right. Yeah, I look great in a dress. So sometimes, I mean, I hate heels. They're so uncomfortable. But yeah, no, I totally, um, I would rather not be wearing one because I find them uncomfortable, but I do enjoy, you know, dressing up. It's funny. It's funny, isn't it? And also I think as I get older, like we're many people and we become, we go through many phases in our, in our lives. And it's not to say that this that I'm going through might just be a phase. That's not what I mean. I mean, people do change over time and people do live their lives in chapters. And in those chapters, different things come to the fore and different things are emphasised. Um, and it doesn't mean it's just a phase. It just means that you you go through something and then you move on for whatever reasons. We're evolving. Yeah. That's all it is. You know, I, I've had, I would hate right now for, you know, for most people to meet, for example, college age Jordana. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad she's... But at the same time, I don't know if that was a phase. I was just growing, growing through something, you know. Um, and and I think people who who don't grow, that's a little bit worse, right? It's worse not to grow. Then it is to pass through phases as we evolve to something more. No, and there's also people that are always – they were always just old, you know. They were always just – I mean, it depends what your theory is about archetypes and – what kind of what kind of soul you have and all of this, but there are just people who always knew what they were and seem to arrive at things sooner. And there's other people that just seem to take they need to take the time and they need to make a bunch of mistakes before they get to where they're going. What do you think you are? Um, 
gosh, it's really hard. Um, well, I've had people, different people say different things to me. I, I never went through this college stuff and I never went, I always, I always feel that I kind of knew who I was from mid teens and I always kind of looked the same. I haven't really had any radical changes in my appearance or my interests, uh, since I was maybe 17, I've really kind of just refined the things that I liked or the things I was curious about as, as life's gone on. Um, but that doesn't mean I haven't made mistakes and, um, or been on searches or quests, which I have. So I'm not sure. Well, what are some of the most important lessons then that you've learned from your mistakes, from your searches, from your quests? What are some... Oh, this comes back to your, your question to me about so when you said superpowers, and I thought, well, my suit, I don't know, I have a very ambivalent relationship to the word power. Mm. I think every time you, you say that word, and if you want to invoke that word, I ask you to substitute the word responsibility. Um. Because I think power in itself is is not a good thing. And I think most people don't understand even what the word means. Does it mean strength? Does it mean, I would say, find another word. So for me, I I think power is an amazing (laughs) word. And it's one of my favorite things in the world. I think there's all kinds of powers. I think there's physical power where you can either make something happen in the real world. You can, you know, literally build something or create a type of music. It's that physical (laughs) ability to move the real world. There's emotional power, the power to make somebody feel better or to connect or to make a new friend or Mm -hmm. to motivate people and inspire other people. That's more of an emotional power. There's a mental power, which is the power to understand things, the power to teach things, the power to gain new skills and to create uh, new innovations and 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 tell stories in imaginative ways and make metaphors. That's an that's a, a, a intellectual power. I think we have spiritual powers: the power to um, be present in the moment, the power to to yeah see things from a higher order and connect with our higher selves hmm. and really uh, experience like oneness with with all of life Mm. and I think power is really special I think of course all power can be used for negative so you can for example we get back to the physical power yeah okay we can create but we can also destroy Um, if you are really smart emotionally you also have the power to tear someone down and make them feel horrible emotionally Mm -hmm. intellectually you have the power to confuse people or manipulate or take Mm. or you know dominate others um and all of, and all of those things are also true, but that doesn't mean that power is inherently bad. Mm-hmm. But what does it mean? I mean, so every time you said that word just now, I thought of synonyms. Like, what other word do you mean? Do you mean ability? Do you mean strength? What do you mean? Because I, I feel it's a thing like we, we use it as a word that we automatically think is good, that everyone should have and want, like gold. But the reality is most people misuse it and most people don't know what it is even when they have it. And the people who seek it, seek it so that they can precisely damage other people. And before you tell all women that they need to have power, I think we also need to look at what it is you intend to do with it. What is it? And then what do you want to do with it? Um, So I'm a little power blind, I have to say. I I don't think I've ever seen my power because I'm too busy trying to be responsible or to help or to be able or to be kind or I think it's worth breaking it down to what it is. Um, And especially if you want power or one of you is a power seeker in a a relationship, how how does that affect the relationship dynamic? Because I was with somebody who talked a lot about power and having it and talked about power feminism, and she did the worst thing to me that anyone in the world can do. And I, I'm very, very suspicious of it now. So I'm, I'm much more interested in finding another word. Well, I think, you know, you are demonstrating power. You just may not feel comfortable with the word because you got a little traumatized by this person who sounds horrible. Um, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> that doesn't really corrupt all power. <laughs> Maybe maybe humility is a necessary um, 
adjunct to power. So if you if you have it, you you need to also. It's kind of like you need a kind of insurance policy that goes along with it, um, which is something like you need to you need to have kindness as a as a traveling companion to power, or you need to because also thinking about things energetically too. Power attracts certain things and attracts certain people. And you need to know that when you demonstrate it and you have it, you draw things to you. And you need to be sure what you're drawing to you and what you do you want that kind of attention. Um, it's very interesting because women historically have been powerless and every time they they try to pop up and get some, they really get their heads cut off. So I don't want to discourage that we do need we do need to become empowered and i think empowerment is is the first step that you need to kind of be really strong in yourself and sure of yourself first and know exactly what your gifts are and what you have to offer uh, and you need to protect yourself uh and then and then bring your gifts into the world somehow but you need to do it in a safe way i just see women getting exploited and i don't know i'm i'm very a little bit wary of it. And also on a political level too, like I, I still look at what happened in this country to somebody like Hillary Clinton when she ran for president. And I think one of the reasons she attracted so much hatred is because the narrative of power around her and people still didn't see her really in terms of what she could do, you know, as a very functional person with actual policy. Um, and I think we're going to go through this same struggle again, looking for a female candidate in the election next year, I think it's going to be the same issue because we always accept that men can have power without defining what it is and what its usefulness is. We accept that they have it, but the minute women have it, we we can't. We're not we're not comfortable with it. Yeah, we all have to, of course, be kind. And I think that anyone who isn't, you know, operating in kindness for a good purpose, and then no matter what, whether or not you want power, we still have no excuse in this lifetime. I don't think. To, to not be kind, you know what I mean? Right. I've, I have a question for you, though. Yeah. As, as a, dating, a dating person, a person who's a, a dating advice guru. Tell me. This is a very specific question. Yes. My favorite question. That's my favorite <laughs> kind of question. Let's hear it. No, and it's got to do with power because it's really, really interesting that even when you don't think you have it, maybe a little bit of differential in wealth. Say you're in a relationship and you're dating somebody and you're older, so you have extra wisdom, extra experience. Say you earn a little more or you have a more responsible job or you have, you know, mutual funds or whatever. And say you're dating somebody who is younger, who doesn't have that experience, who isn't arrived yet in their career, who doesn't have any savings, whatever. So you've got a power differential already in that relationship how, what advice would you have for a couple like this to not fall into this, this, this trap of somebody feeling that power imbalance? What would you say to that couple? Well, I would say if the, um, it depends on who's in which position, because you, we talk about there's an I person and the we person. So which one's the I person and which one's the we person? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. So if the I person is the person with no savings and the we person is the person with all the wisdom and experience and what can end up happening is the we person needs to understand that she's going to have a tendency to want to share her wisdom, share her experience, share all of her resources with the I person to make the I person grow and grow and grow. And because she's the we person might project her own greatness onto the I person and then put the I person up on a pedestal. Those are the, those are the patterns that anyone in that position has to look out for. But at the same time, if you're really with an evolved I person, then you'd be working together to make sure that you as the we person stands in your I. And of course that the person in the I position stands in the we. So that this younger inexperienced person with no savings as they're learning to, as they're, happily receiving all those great things from you and furthering their own self, they also learn how to operate with more, more of team nature. And you have to be careful not to put that person up too much on a pedestal. Right. Because then what you talked about in an earlier is they turn around and say, well, what do I need you for? You, you don't want to just become their servant. Right. Especially you shouldn't because you're the person with more wisdom and experience to so stand in your eye, be, be amazing, you know? <laughs> um, for the, but if it's the other way around where the person who's the I has all the wisdom, all the experience and all the money, 
then that any younger and experienced person with no savings might just feel so like, oh my God, you're so amazing and just constantly be serving and serving and also not even trying for more because they're deriving all their greatness for the, from the greatness of the we, which is the greatness of their great partner. And they could end up being really bad power imbalances there. Um, oh. And you got to hope that the older person, you know, is in it for more than just a servant that they really want to see that younger, more inexperienced person with no savings, even though they're a wee person, stand more in their eye, you know, and <laughs> that's, that's it. And I, I know people like both of those people. So that's so interesting. And what would you say, would you say what's more important in this scenario, commitment or communication? Well, not everyone wants commitment. So now we talk back to the diversity of the community and a lot of what I find there's a lot, there are plenty of polyamorous people that aren't looking for commitment. So what kind of relationship are they in? Right. Oh, oh, no, I'm just curious because you often hear people talk about commitment versus communication, but I think possibly communication is, is what you need to talk about this stuff and navigate it all, all the time, check in with each other. And then also, what are you committed to? Right. So these, you know, I think, well, communication is always really, really important that you have to communicate what you're committed to. Are you committed to fidelity? Like some people, you know, I'm a monogamous person. So that is, you know, part of my commitment is that I'm not going to look outside of my partnership for certain things. But, you know, then are you committed to growth? Are you committed to being your best self? Are you committed to ideals in the world? Hmm. Are you committed to... Being a team? Yeah, to being a team or to... At least if you're not, you know, depending, some people are really a team. My, my ex and I, we, we literally were business partners, but you could also work separately, but still be committed to making ends meet, you know, and bring, you know, doing your share of the work. And do you feel, because most lesbians are um, professionally ambitious, how have you found uh, when you're both business people or you're both ambitious within the relationship, how have you found that impacts the relationship dynamic? Did you say we're, we're lesbians, so we're more, did, how did you define this as we're more ambitious? I think so, yes. Then then often, you know, all our surveys at Curve indicate that most of our readership are on a kind of steady professional track. And I often interview couples that are running businesses together. And I always ask them, how do you make that work? Because that that is like having a third entity in the relationship. Well, I love to hear you say that, and I hope that more people are listening so that there are, you can hear, because a lot of times what people complain to me is that they are successful, they work really hard, you know, they are ambitious, or even if they're not yet successful, they're still really um, career-oriented and and want to make more of their lives, but they find sometimes that the women they date, it's harder to find women who are on that page. Hmm. So I always like to preach abundance, so listen to Marin here. There are plenty of women in that position, and they're all reading curves, so pick up your copy now. (laughs) (laughs) But... um, And don't compete with each other. Don't compete with each other. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know... I think every relationship is 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 unique, but yeah, you, you have to make time for what you make time for. Then there are other people would say there are certain times in life, you know, certain people want to make certain time sacrifices. You know, it's, it's not up to, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer in terms of how much you want to dedicate to your career at certain ages of your life versus how much you want to dedicate to, or, to your family and your physical health. But I think there's a, there's a season for everything. And you know, if this is the time to go all out on your career, then, you know, amen. Um, and then there's going to be another time in your life when you're going to have to, because otherwise you're, you don't want to get old and have nobody in it. You know, I think all aspects, all um, realms of our existence are really important. So that's the physical realm. So working really hard and building something, but you also want to work on the emotional realm and having meaningful relationships in your life whether it's love relationships or family relationships or friendship relationships or, you know, just having a really good support system. It's an important thing to invest in, in in life because life is empty without it. And then of course there's physical health. And then, you know, I would say spiritual health to the extent what I mean by that, I'm not a religious person, but just sort of understanding that, you know, you are not your mind. <laughs> and just because we think things, it doesn't mean that thoughts in our head are real and being present in the moment and seeing the humanity in all people and kind of just having that sense that there's more than just I and my, you know, there's more than just whatever. So I think all of those things are aspects of success that matter. And if you meet someone that's only interested in career, then that may not be healthy for the long term. Does that make sense? 
Right, it it does, yeah. It's the accumulation of a, a of, yeah years, I suppose, uh, and, and questions that I have unanswered. That uh, you know, as you get older, you see patterns, and I think it takes two to tangle for sure. But one of the problems, with, if you are an empath, you often attract people who are takers because it's a natural dance you want to do you want to keep as an empath you want to keep giving and you get a kind of satisfaction out of giving so your ideal match in that scenario is a taker (laughs) yeah you got to check out annie lala's work i literally had a really long conversation with her about this um i wish i had recorded it i remember getting off the phone with her thinking how did i not record that every time she opens her mouth it's just magic but uh she, she teaches a lot about that i'll try and see if i can find any podcast I can recommend it but she was on my podcast but I don't think we talked about specifically this but um, she's done a lot of work around this yeah sounds interesting interesting stuff yeah yeah amazing um so I was going to ask you about this I was going to ask you about the superpower but then we got into power so you don't love power um, <laughs> I can talk about superpower as well you can but I think I'm question I question the word power I think we bandy it about as a term but it's a bit like love the word power is a bit like the word love. I think we all invoke it as a word and a term, but not all of us know what the definition is, and it looks different to to different people. And in a relationship, when you say I love you, I think one of the things to do would be to to grab your partner at that moment and say, okay, stop. What do you mean by that? What does it look like to you? And if you were to express it, like if you were to do it, if, if it becomes not a noun but an, uh, you know, a, a, a verb, what do you do with it? What, what does it look like? Right. That's so interesting. And I think another really interesting way of looking at it, again, not to be obsessed with Annie Lala here, but she does teach <laughs> this other really interesting frame where she and her husband, what they'll do is they'll be on the lookout for each other for when the other person does a loving act or says something loving or they act in a way where you can tell that they are loved. And instead of saying, I love you, they'll say, you love me to show that their loving act has landed, like that you, the, the message was received. Uh-huh. And I think that's really interesting. So instead of saying someone says, I love you, instead of saying, oh, yeah, really? How? Why? Tell me everything about it. How do I really believe you? Because, again, <laughs> you've been a little scarred. And I totally get it because I am a wee person and I totally have been an overgiver. And I, I really, really, really am. I feel you. I know exactly what you mean. But um, I think that's all just another frame as well to say you love me. And, and be on the lookout for it. And then if you're not finding that, you know, I think it's also just as important that we protect ourselves from from narcissists and people who are overtakers. There are plenty of those out there. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But you can do that. You can do it. <laughs> yes. But that's a whole other long conversation. We, we could have lunch and talk about that for hours. <laughs> yeah. But I oh. am curious to hear about what you, what advice you have for other women that want to be more successful, you have this, you know, incredible job, you're doing all these things in the world, you know, for the best advice you've seen from all the women you've got to work with and interview. Is there any? Oh, I mean, it's really a hard one. And again, when I even look at my own life and why I've ended up uh, doing what I've done, I think there's certain things that I hold dear and one of those things is truth and as a journalist my job is always I think to to tell the truth to tell the true story and I mean because somebody has to but I'm also a writer and a playwright and I also understand fiction very well but I think fiction is also truth that telling stories the whole function of it really is to illuminate humans and the human condition and the processes that we are engaged in but always I come back to this idea of truth and what's true and that I guess is is my path in life something that I'm interested in but in terms of following your passion that's to me what makes you successful so it doesn't matter to me what you would do what your profession is or what your career is or your path in life if it's something that you're excited about and that gives you joy and that doesn't hurt anybody and, you know, leaves the world a better place, I think you can't really go wrong. And it doesn't, therefore, matter what it is you do. If you care about it, you're going to find success at it. Yeah. Follow your passion and don't hurt other people. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Wow. You, um, 
I think I think non-harming is a big theme for you. Kindness and being good. It's clearly a big theme. Yeah, kindness. Absolutely. Not to the point of being a fool, but I think you because there's always going to be people who will take advantage of that. And you have to know what your your limit is in terms of how much you can sustain to give. But there is a way that it doesn't cost very much to to perform an act of kindness. And often kindness really does begin with just not hurting somebody else. Yeah. So and we're lucky that your passion is to create such an amazing space for queer women or for lesbians or however it is that you, it doesn't matter what word you use, we know what you mean. And so thank you for all of that. Where can women find you? Where can women find Curve? You can find us online at curvemag.com and on Facebook. If you just put in Curve Magazine, we come up and you can follow me on Instagram. I hope I post nice pictures of things I'm doing. Uh, my handle is Marin underscore Johns. Um, and I think Twitter, I'm on Twitter at Marin One and follow Curve Magazine on Twitter at The Real Curve Magazine. But follow us. It costs nothing. And we're fairly interesting. We often report on great community things, new artists doing amazing things, travel opportunities. Travel is one of my passions uh, because I want to go around the world and spread the lesbian word. Um, but, yeah, become part of our family. It's a very cool family to belong to. Yeah, I definitely recommend everyone follow them right now and see who these other women are that are following her because they're all – based on how she's describing them, exactly what everyone asks me for when they ask to be set up. So <laughs> sounds like you want to know where they're at, they're reading Curve. So <laughs> go follow Curve now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. This is a great conversation. <laughs> okay. And now I would love to hear from you. We covered a whole lot of things in this episode, but I'm curious, what of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and have passionate intimacy together, then there are tons of free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a quick guide to the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of those things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBTQ women that you think could benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, don't forget that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women.